Good morning. Delighted you could be with us today. Today is July the 4th, which we all recognize as the Independence Day, don't we? And so we are celebrating today uh, all across our nation at the birth of our country, the Declaration of Independence from England in our British Isles from July 4, 1776. And in that statement, in that statement was a comment that said, all men are created equal. And boy, what a important concept that we have for today, isn't it? All men are created equal. And with what's going on in our country and some of the things that have happened, I wish we could instill that into our hearts, that all men are created equal, regardless, regardless of their background, regardless from where they're from, regardless of the color of their skin. We are a very diverse congregation here, which is delightful because it brings lots of color, meaning personalities and cultures together. And that makes our congregation stronger. So I hope where you are, or you're which, uh, watching, that this July 4th, you'll commit yourself again to making sure and understanding the principle that we all are created equal, all of us, to the glory of God, okay? So have a happy 4th today. Last, uh, last time we were talking about when will we might open again, and I wanted to mention that we are considering August the 1st. Saturday, August the 1st. But things may change, and we were going to try to be open today, but the problem being that the pandemic seems to rise in our state and other places, so we're going to postpone another month and see where we are by then. So please keep in touch with us on our website. We'd be happy to communicate with you in any way we can so that you can keep in touch with what's happening. For those of you who may be local, that's really important. And we're taking steps that we can to keep you safe and to keep you okay. All right? So we're tentatively looking towards August the 1st, Saturday, August the 1st. Uh, last, week, last week, we talked about uh, Elijah and the uh, 21st century prophet. And I wanted to have us go back and pick that up again because I want us to continue on with the thought about the Elijah message. And July... And, um, Malachi 4 verses 5 through 6. Would you find your Bible? If you could look there and turn, that would be great. And to find those particular pages there in your scripture, Malachi 4, 5 and 6. We looked at this, and so I would like to refresh your memory. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else, I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Well, that's the very last few words that are in the book of Malachi, the very end of the Old Testament. And it seems to me that's a pretty important and very serious warning. Doesn't it sound that to you? A very serious warning. Well, as we look at that, and we look at that time, and we look forward from that, what are the last days? What are the times of the great and dreadful day of the Lord? It is fascinating that when Jesus was speaking about John the Baptist, when he was speaking about John the Baptist to his disciples, he said, and if you are willing to accept it, he, speaking of John the Baptist, 
is the Elijah who was to come. Well, that's a beautiful thing to say, and I think, well, all right. Not that John the Baptist was actually Elijah, because Elijah was in heaven. So it's not that he was, but he had picked up John the Baptist's message. If you remember, we also looked at Matthew 16. And in Matthew 16, Jesus had gone to Caesarea Philippi. And while he was resting with the disciples there, he asked them, well, who do people say the Son of Man is? And part of their answer was, others say you are Elijah. You are Elijah. Well, Elijah, of course, in heaven. This reference to, and now people are saying, Jesus was talking like he would be a great prophet like Elijah. It's amazing. Because Malachi said, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Well, most of us, as we gathered last week, would say that was not at the crucifixion of Christ, even though that was a horrible and dreadful day. Most Bible scholars now are looking to say that pointed to the end of time, the end of the world. Well, that brings up a lot of interesting questions, a lot of interesting things to think about as we pose that question about the Elijah message and looking towards the end of the world. You see, all the Bible prophets pointed toward the end of all things, the end of the world. They all pointed in that way. From Genesis right down through Revelation. We've seen that consistently throughout all of Scripture. So we would ask, well, what would be the Elijah message that would come for the end times? What would that message be? How could we distinguish what it is and what that message would be to us today? Well, one of the places we might look is to say, well, couldn't we get clues by going back and looking at what happened to Elijah? What was Elijah's message? Let's go back. So pick up again, if you would, to 1 Kings 18. 1 Kings 18. If you look back in your Bible, it's near, near the front type section uh, of your uh, Old Testament in your Bible. 1 Kings 18. Do you have that? At 1 Kings 18. This was a discussion, a, an event that happened between Elijah and King Ahab. King Ahab was a king of the Jews, but his wife Jezebel had brought in Baal worship and had brought in these prophets from Azareth and it had brought them all in together and had corrupted the language and the connection between God and his people. And so a drought was to come. And at the end of this drought, Elijah was directed by God to go and speak to Ahab. And so when he met him, when he came up and saw Ahab, Ahab spoke to him and said, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Because Elijah had delivered the message of the drought. And he responded, Elijah responded, I have not made trouble for Israel. Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have, because you brought in Baal worship. You, uh, you've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed after Baal's commands. Now summon the people, Elijah said. Summon the people all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Azareth who eat at Jezebel's table, meant they ate in the palace. 
So Ahab sent out word, the Bible says, he sent out word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And so then Elijah, after the crowd had gathered, he went out and he went out before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Elijah challenged the people to choose. And that's where we were kind of looking at last week. Challenging the people to choose what they would do. Choose to make a decision. Well, on Mount Carmel that day, which is just up from Haifa, looking over the Mediterranean Sea, on that day, Elijah let the prophets of Baal do all that they could, building this altar, they're going to say, the one that answers by fire. Well, Elijah had to watch them very carefully because they would quickly try to slip fire underneath the altar to burn it up, and oh, it was Baal. But they went all morning long, and finally at noon, Elijah yells out to them, well, try harder, yell harder, maybe Baal is in a different country. And so they cut themselves, they danced around, they pleaded to have Baal come and to answer by fire. And then towards the end of the day, Elijah said, well, you've had your chance, it's my chance. And so he assembled the 12 stones, one representing each of the 12 tribes. He gathered the wood, he gathered the altar, he took the water and poured it over, remember the story? And then Elijah prayed. And as Elijah prayed, fire shot down on lightning bolt, as it were, shot down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wood, consumed the stones and lapped up the water. Such a powerful demonstration of God's power there on Mount Carmel. And when the people saw that, the Bible says, verse 39, when the people saw it, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Well, that's a fabulous story as a child. I loved hearing that story. I loved, uh, loved remembering that story. And still as an adult, I love that story. Perhaps it's new to you, or maybe you have uh, known it all your life. But it's interesting now to put that, that call, that message, and to go forward with that as we look at what happened later on the Bible. Remember, Jesus said, well, John the Baptist was, was like Elijah. And they question whether Jesus was like Elijah. And we find other references in the scriptures in the New Testament. But it's fascinating that there is no mention of Elijah by name in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. Now, it's, it's interesting that there is a reference, not using his name, but a reference to the incident. And we find in a story of the, of the seven seals that one of the great signs that came out in the sixth seal, right before Christ comes, right at the very ending, and it said, and it, meaning the beast that came up right before the end, this represented a time, the end of the end of time in John's words and it performed great signs eating causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in the full view of the people not God's fire but a fire that would appear almost like proof that Baal had come back see 
Well, the book of Revelation does call people to make a choice. The whole book talks about the history from the time that the New Testament ended. It points us all the way down to the end of time and to the earth made new. You can read it, and it shows us through these different, different patterns and cycles in Revelation, always calling for God and for people to come together and to make a choice of God. That went through the whole theme of it. So we have to ask, what would be the message for today's world? If we look from the time of 1 Kings 18 all the way down through to Revelation, and the theme is a calling to make a choice, what would be the message then? What would be the message that would change the world? What would, what would motivate people to choose to follow God? What would be that message that would change their hearts and turn the children to their parents and the parents to their children? What would be the motive that this would have on people that would actually get them to respond and to do something? What would turn their hearts over to God? Those are profound things to ask, profound things to look at, profound things to know. One of my favorite authors is Charles Swindoll. And in his book, The Grace Awakening, which you can get on Amazon for 10 bucks, uh, The Grace Awakening, which is a fabulous book, he makes a comment in that book that I'd like to share with you. Charles Swindoll says, if you and I have souls that are unconquerable, the sky's the limit. If we really are our own master and captain, watch out, world. What seems so right is, in fact, heresy. The one I consider the most dangerous heresy on earth. What is it? The emphasis on what we do for God instead of what God does for us. Did you get that? He calls that the most dangerous heresy. The emphasis on what we do for God instead of what God does for us. Please follow this along closely. The emphasis on what we do for God instead of what God does for us. Most people, he continues to say, uh, see themselves as masters of their own fate, captains of their own souls. It's an old age philosophy, old age philosophy, deeply ingrained in the human heart. And why not? It supports the humanity all time favorite subject, self. Self. Me, myself, and I emphasis on self so we could ask well what does that have to do with elijah and elijah's message well think this through with me will you mount carmel mount carmel experience that happened where they were going to choose between baal and the lord focused on a god baal that was man-made. They made up this God in their own minds. 
And they created a religion of which they were to adhere to, in which everyone wanted to follow to appease Baal. They made up because they had made it. We have our own gods, they would say. They would, they would make up this idea of God. And so then they would work very hard then to appease Baal, you see, to appease him. So Charles Swindoll's comment, the emphasis on what we do for God instead of what God does for us. You see? Perhaps you are in a religious experience or trying to be spiritual or whatever and you sense that nothing you ever do is good enough. Nothing you ever do. Try to be good. Try to pray. Try to read your Bible. Try to be kind to others. Try to be loving. And, but you notice that things happen in your life that take you away. And sometimes people get so frustrated with that that they give up on God all totally. What they're missing is grace. They don't know what grace really means. I'm talking about the grace of God. What is God's grace? Grace is God doing for you what you cannot do yourself. So they misunderstand what grace involves. You see, there is only one that is good enough, and that is Christ. Only he is good enough. The rest of us have all sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. So we can't be good enough. Only Christ is good enough. And Jesus invites us to come to him and to rest. Not only to lay down our burdens to rest, but to mean to rest in the struggle of ourselves, of trying to be good enough. Come to me, he said, and you will find rest. You will find that struggle is over. So I would encourage you to stop trying to be good enough. All right, I'm going to have two questions I want to ask you. These are used uh, around Christianity as we talk to people about this experience, and they're thoughtful questions, and I'd like you to, in your own mind, to think them through a little bit with me, would you? Number one is, have you come to the place in your spiritual life that if you died tonight, you'd know you'd be going to heaven or that you'd be saved. If you, if you come to the place in your spiritual life, well, I've asked lots of people that, and it's kind of a yes or no. And most of the time, I get the response, well, no, I, I don't know if I've gotten that far yet. I, I don't know. I, you know I, I'm still working on it. As a child, I used to think that God kind of graded on the curve. And... Um, Sister so-and-so, who seemed to be a saint, she was in her 70s in church, she seemed to never do anything wrong. She certainly would be an A, but if I looked at myself, well, I'm hoping that, that I knew that I was frustrated and I knew that I was struggling with difficulty and sin and so forth. I was trying, 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 but maybe God would go by the curve and let me come in on a D, just enough to get me through. But the Bible says, the Bible says, there's none righteous. No, not one. We've all come short of the glory of God. And so, if I was counting on God grading on the curve, that was not going to be it. Because the Bible says, one sin keeps us out. 
one sin. So if you've answered, no, I haven't come to that place, well, hang on. The second question comes and said, if you did die tonight and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? What's the reason? Well, perhaps you'd say, well, I've tried hard. I haven't murdered anybody. I've prayed. I, I, I've given to the poor. I've done those good things. I, I, think, I think if you look at me, even though the law is going, stuff going on, uh, I hope you grave. No, that's not good enough. So when people realize that they cannot earn their way, they could with bail, hopefully. They hope with bail that they had created that somehow they could appease him. But with Christ and with God, you cannot appease him with yourself. The only thing that takes care of that, the only thing which makes it marvelous answer to all of us, the marvelous truth about it is that the sacrifice of Jesus who paid for my sins, that's what's so marvelous about it. It's not me trying to be good. It's Christ who was good. So his life becomes mine. I accept it by faith. And he paid for my sins upon the cross so that I could stand before him as clean as white and my record is purged of sin because he forgave me and he cleansed me with his blood. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he said, For by grace have you been saved through faith. For by grace God doing for you what you, you can't save yourself. Only Christ can save you. And it is not of yourselves trying to do something, the Bible says. It is a gift, a gift of God. And not by works, not by works that you've done something to earn your way. That is, so none of us can boast. None of us will be in heaven and say, well, I earned this. I did pretty well. I was a good guy. I did the No, the only reason we would be able to say that we are in heaven is because we can say, Christ's blood covered me. I'm here because Jesus died for me. And I accept that in faith. Perhaps you know the old uh, nursery rhyme. Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Once it happened, he had a problem that could not be solved. Here's our wall. We're sitting on the wall. Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. So that regardless of death, and in spite of sin, through grace he might put us together again. You see that? Through grace he puts us back together. He makes us whole God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe. So what is the message of Elijah? What is the message that they chose? It's whether they would allow God to be in their lives and to accept him and to go God's way or be. Whether they're going to try to earn their way through peasing the gods, try to earn their way, and we try to do this with God, doesn't work or would they accept by grace what's given to us it's a free gift 
as soon as it's not a free gift, it's not the gospel. As soon as it's not given to us freely, it's not true. But we tend to try to work this way. One time I was down the street years ago from my church, and I was visiting the office of a Lutheran pastor. And we were chatting back and forth about our congregations, and, and um, I was saying, oh, it's hard for me as a Seventh-day Adventist because we think so important of the, of the Sabbath and about following God's law, the importance of having that is in our hearts, that it's difficult to have people understand the real true meaning of grace in their lives. And he said, well, it's no different here, even though we're not keeping the Sabbath here. I have a difficult time, even with Lutherans, understanding grace. And I said, how could that be? Luther's great theme, Martin Luther's great theme was uh, the just shall live by faith. It's, it's the whole idea that you will be justified by faith, by trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. How could they be? He said, it's still so difficult because it's human nature. It's human nature. God's gift of forgiveness and eternal life to all who believe. That's what turns the hearts of the people when they know I'm finally free, when they know I've been forgiven, when I know that I can trust in Christ alone. That's what brings freedom. That's what brings joy. That was the call. That's what happened on Mount Carmel. That's what happened with John the Baptist. That's what happened with the ministry of Jesus. And that's the great call out of the scriptures. The Lord can put our brokenness, our sinfulness, back together again. No one else can. And I get that by trusting, by faith in Christ Jesus alone. If you have not made that step, I invite you to do so. But you come to understand it. Don't let this issue rest with you. If you don't understand what it means to be saved by the grace of Christ, don't rest because it brings you great joy and happiness once you know. I invite you to make that step. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the great truth of the grace of Christ. It stands with us and it is so firm with us because it is true. It is the Elijah message of our day. It is the message that the just shall live by faith. It is what stands for us, how we can get rid of our sin problem from our broken lives. And that we can quit trying and start living in Christ Jesus. Help us to understand that. And if we need to grow in that, help us find that way and that pathway. That we may be joyful in the Lord. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.